0: Listening to Burn and Return, a weekly one-hour podcast covering news from the agricultural and turf grass industries. Knocked it out of the park on round one. Paint. whatever you did, whatever get fiddling you did on the get fiddle, you figured it out. Everybody, welcome aboard for another episode of burn and return on today's episode, we are going to be talking about a series of uplifting topics that are going to make you feel so good about entering your work week. Actually this week, it won't be too terribly bad. There's not a lot of famine, not a lot of death, uh, not a lot of just overly bad news to report on. (laughs) Just kidding. Yes, there is, Uh, but hopefully we will find ways to make, Something positive out of each and one of these, and that's kind of my goal uh gentlemen is to, is to be less of a negative Nancy through today's episode and, and try and shed try and put a positive spin on things, but as y'all know, I tend to struggle with that, so if you ever see an opportunity to help guide me towards the light, I would be much appreciative appreciative, and y'all may be wondering who the hell am I talking to if you don't know. Well, it's time to know. I'm talking about Mr. Ryan DeMay and Ray Edo. Gentlemen, how the hell are you doing?
1: Doing great. You know, uh, hopefully you see the light. I mean, it's uh, it's a nice day. It gets dark at 520. You know, we were talking about that here before the show. And uh, what better time of the year to have seasonal affective disorder and the entire supply chain of the turf industry crashing down around you, right? Right, Ray? <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, that, that's just some some real positive news there to me. Super positive. I, said it, with I, mean, a, I it. said
1: it with a smile on my face, right? I mean, I'm, I'm I know I'm cheery about it, right? I know. If you had What's your, your eyes problem? closed
0: and listened to you say that, it did sound positive, and I promise it was because of the smile on your face.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, go ahead, Ray. Because
2: guess what? what I get to look forward to is what is considered the first winter storm uh, for Hawaii. Yeah, uh, I've had people ask me on the Discord, Ray, blizzards? And I said, yeah, the blizzards happen above 10,000 square, f- you know, above 10,000 feet on the tops of the mountains. But What I got to look forward to is at the lower elevations, I get to look forward to up to 15 inches of rain in a 48-hour period. And that's probably coming over Sunday night and into Tuesday.
0: Mm, No, thank you. On a scale of 1 to 10, that's a 10 on the no thank you aspect of that. (laughs) Uh, twenty inches of rain is never a good thing. And let me tell you, if I got twenty inches of rain in that short of a window, uh, not only would uh, there be significant flooding here where I live, I would legit be under underwater. It would be so deep underwater. In fact, I think I think it would be up to about my chest where I'm sitting right now. If I got that much rain that quickly, up to your chest, huh?
3: Mm-hmm. Well,
4: where
1: you I'm know, sitting right now no no climate uh, climate disasters coming i mean hey a little snow ray it's not going to kill you guys right i mean it's upper elevations yeah. there's nothing up there i mean mm-hmm. just the yeah. guys a little bit of snow telescopes. up
2: yeah that because that that specifically falls up at the where they where they're operating the telescopes and under normal conditions Mm-hmm. Up there, the wind is blowing about 50 miles per hour and it's about forty degrees outside there anyway. Uh you ain't growing much grass up there, Ryan. Let me let me ask you this
0: real quick. Mm-hmm. Right? Where they have the telescopes up there, is that where they also do weather manipulation? <laughs> no. They prime the clouds. Okay. I was just wondering. No. I, I don't know. I know we've covered it here before. Nobody else is talking about it. it it's stuck in the back of my head. I, you know, I, the just, weather,
2: I, didn't, I didn't know what the was weather, going on up there. The weather modification happens uh, at sites that are at lower elevation because you need, basically, radio transmission equipment
0: and a lot of it. Well, I don't know about y'all boys, We've actually got some very, very interesting topics to cover today. Let's jump in to this week's headlines. Uh, for any of our fine patrons that are uh, members of the uh, the Grass Factor slash Burn and Return Discord, uh, and if you'd like access to that, head on over to patreon.com forward slash uh, Burn and Return, and we are forever grateful for everybody that uh, continues to extend support for us. But if you are a part of that, you probably saw me having a bit of a of a of uh, uh, an existential crisis earlier this week um, when I came yeah, to free- the re- realization that prodiamine shortages were real. And I, I've, I feel like I have read about this earlier in the year, but it was one of those things that you read about and you don't really, you know, it's like, oh, you know, well, in three months, that'll rectify itself. and And it turns out I'm still in the process of gathering data there. And that's why I don't feel like you know, going nuts on air and just being like, ah, uh, there's no more pre-emergent. I'm going to die. I'm not doing that because there's, you know, we're just scratching the surface, you know, asking some people, some in the know. And, uh, and you know, we're going to gather some data sets and, and provide some legitimate alternatives that can that can go out there and be employed as a result of any kind of shortages that may be, may be out there. mate, you got a look on your face. What are, what's What's going on in your head there? Talk to me.
1: Oh, it's, it's going to get worse before it gets better. I mean, it's going to (laughs) get way, way worse. I mean, we can collect all the data we want, but just, uh, you know, a little foreshadowing here. Just, this is the trailer, uh, get all your shit now and get it in the barn. That's my, that's my two cents.
0: And to put a positive spin on that, because that's what I said I was going to do today is what that means is that you still have time at least for the next seven to 14 days. Uh, you, you've got time for the next 7 to 14 days to go ahead and get that done. So nothing to worry about. But like I said, we're gathering data on that. And um, and there's a reason why we're going to continue to gather data on that and watch this very closely. And I think it's something that can kind of parlay into this headline here. And what we're talking about is the China price index. Supply shortages loom as energy and environmental policies collide. China's double control policy on manufacturing plans for energy conservation continues to impact China's agrochemical supply to the global market. According to the Shanghai Containerized Freight Index, the SEFI, the freight cost index started to decrease in October with shipping volumes lower, possibly because of diminished production as a result of the double control policy. According to the customs data, the China entry and exit shipment dropped 11.95% year-over-year in September of 2021. The low rate of entry and exit shipment in the autumn of 2021 could signal a sudden decrease in China's supply due to suspension of production. Moreover, yellow phosphorus prices dropped almost in half between October 8th and November uh, 2nd from a high of about 60 uh, uh, yuan uh, per kilogram. The drop in yellow phosphorus pricing was a clear signal that China's production cannot be back to normal rapidly. It is unusual to have a price drop when China's yellow phosphorus capacity was cut around 48% in total. The key reason for such a scenario is because production suspension in different provinces due to double control. It seems clear double control policy has already been affecting the downstream production of key agrochemicals and raw materials could continue to fall if low, lower production rates persist. According to many agrochemical manufacturers in China, the 50% capacity guarantee in Q4 2021 and Q1 2022 would be the best result for business maintenance. Like other fine chemical production, agrochemical manufacturing needs continuous production management. The suspension of production and shortage of electricity supply would bring higher risk on safety control and in inventories in the coming six months. Moreover, there are other factors to block the production. The limited availability of key intermediates hampers capacity of operation. The impact is influencing the entire chemical industry both upstream and downstream. Employees' workloads cannot be 100% due to the suspension of manufacturing. Operation costs would increase due to lower capacity. The state-owned manufacturers and companies with advanced tech processes could maintain the hiring rate. Private companies with only long-tail portfolios would be less competitive. Such impact would bring a new round of consolidation and phase out much of the overcapacity that China has been working to eliminate, which would be realized in 2022 and last into 2023. So this, is, this continues to go on into a significant, Amount of detail here, and there's a couple of different things that can be pulled away from it. Before I start talking about directly how that influences us here in the United States, first, what we see from a geopolitical standpoint is that um, there are a couple schools of thoughts on this, and I have heard this from uh, from from different people. Right? You've got and and it, I'm going to try not to make this too much about partisan politics. There are some people of the mindset in the chemical industry in the United States that this is posturing by China to intentionally put pressure on the American agrochemical market. Um, so it's it's purely done so uh, because if you look at the, the herbicides and uh, uh, from an agrochemical perspective that are hardest hit, basically, if it is an herbicide that ends in an E, uh, and this is just a generalized statement, this isn't exactly 100% down the road, but if it ends in an E, we are struggling to uh, have enough availability of it in the United States. So a lot of that is going to protect like glyphosate, atrazine, simazine, prodiamine. Those are a few that have been at significant uh, 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 production cuts. Now, what's interesting about specifically this article here is that it also shows that it could be posturing based on uh, a a a re Acquisition or a recentralization of of business towards state owned and government owned manufacturing facilities, right? Because the privately owned manufacturing facilities that still operate in a weird gray area where, you know, China is uh, oddly communist and um, uh, uh, capitalistic, but but they're kind of at wars, right? And the way this goes on. And here we have a bit of a government launching an operation against uh, private manufacturers. Uh, to in in an effort i would assume to either raise uh uh, uh prices and profits for um uh government owned facilities or uh, to just recenter that power into government manufacturers whichever may be the case there uh, so you know however you choose to to look at this it, it, there there are major geopolitical impacts that are taking place and that's why before we start talking about necessarily uh, what that looks like over the next three months, six months, nine months, 12 months in the United States. Um, I think what Ray said, uh, what Ryan said is very real, that it is going to get significantly worse before it gets better. And what, at least from this point, I think we all feel comfortable talking about is um, it is n- now an appropriate time to have the conversation with your distributor over product availability from an herbicide perspective. Uh, And that could be pre emergent herbicides, that could be post emergent herbicides uh, to ensure that you have the amount of product locked down that you need to have locked down going into next year. I can tell you right now that if you run granular pre emergence, the shortages are insane. Uh, It's a bit frightening. Uh, But before you go too far off the deep end worrying about purely granular uh, 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 herbicides, if you have the flexibility to be able to spray, um, liquid uh, pre-emergent herbicides. There is already an inventory stockpile within the United States uh, that can be sold into that provide a bit of buffer, uh, and so that may be an alternative for you. So it may not align exactly with how your business prefers to operate, but you still do have options on the table that are going to allow you um, to not have to jump over to purely a post-emergent weed control program, which a lot of times we don't budget for, right? Because post-emergent only programs are significantly more expensive than pre-emergent programs. And if we're already facing 30, 60, 90% price increases on our fertility cost, it doesn't make sense to have to then eat the cost of a 60 to 90% cost increase on our herbicide usage because we're having to run a post-emergent program only. So begin having that conversation with your distributor um, about product availability going into this year and make the necessary adjustments in order to uh ensure that you do have material to operate. Ray, when you see and read things like this, and you know, I know, I know you're a bit more of a uh a, a, a global pessimist, maybe, and I'm not too far behind you. I I would say I'm more paranoid than you are, but you may be a bit more pessimistic than I am. Um <laughs> what do you think is is taking place here when you when you read things like this what is your perception on what's happening and then two what is our methodology what can we do here in the united states to help buffer against the uh the insanity of what's taking place on a a global scale
2: okay this number one is speaking directly to a move within the Chinese Communist Party to pull back a little on the free market capitalism that China's been operating under for the last 20 years. And two, this highlights something very, that bothered me a lot, Matt. And and you know what that is? You know what bothers me like hell right now? What's that?
3: The fact that we,
2: you know, and I'm saying us in the United States, us in Europe, the growers in South America, and the growers in the rest of Asia, with the exception of India, we have all exported all of our production to the people's Republic of China. Yep. We've, we've exported it just about all of it because, uh, I won't name names, but several years ago to my horror, I started seeing active ingredient made in China printed on a product bottle. And that alarmed me, you know? That super alarmed and bugged me out. And as I said, I won't name names. But when I started seeing that, that alarmed me. Because when you tell me, say, Syngenta, I automatically associate Switzerland as... A country where something's supposed to be coming from. If you tell me FMC, I immediately think that product is manufactured within the United States. And back in the day, if you told me Monsanto, I would expect the product to be also made in the United States. And I'm talking about the raw materials used to assemble that final finished end user product but instead what has started happening is the active ingredients the adjuvants and the formulation aids all of that manufacture has been exported to people's republic of china and the only thing that happens in the united states maybe is final formulation and bottling That is scary to me.
0: It is. And, you know, for those of you that don't know, uh, Syngenta is now owned by Kim China as well. So, um, (laughs) you know, just to, you know, this is this big time, big time companies here uh, that that control a lot of market share and specifically in turf and ornamental alone um, that are that are doing some. I don't know. There's a lot of influence over what we can and can't buy based on availability, based on what they're able to produce over there. Ryan, I'll get your take on this too. Basically, what I said, you know, from this article, what I what I read is is uh, th- what it seemed like to me was uh, 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 China is attempting to um, strong arm control over private companies in or a consolidation of power to. Uh, government-owned businesses in lieu of allowing uh, the privately operated companies to continue to prosper uh, by operating at this reduced capacity and uh, changing the rules of the game because, you know, if you're the only one that knows rules of the game, you're the only one that has to worry about winning, right?
3: If you look at, uh, you know, how they have structured, the
1: you know, their energy policy, all that kind of stuff, I mean, there is there is a lot going on with this issue. I mean, this is not just like, hey, you know, a bunch of factory workers somewhere in Asia got sick and we had to shut the factory down for six months. I mean, they're shutting these things down, right, because they don't have raw materials to make the actives or the technical material that we would then take over and formulate here or formulate over there, perhaps, right? Uh, And some of that is because of upstream energy use concerns, right, because they're under... Uh, some severe curtailing of uh, using energy and also controlling outputs too. So they, they call it this, this uh, double control strategy that the PRC is employing. And so, you know, again, we're not economists, right? We're not, uh, you know, logistics experts or anything like that, but all the signs right now, I mean, I'm trying to think of a positive one right now off the top of my head. And I don't, I don't, I don't have one, is that there are all the headwinds in the world, literally in the world, are going against us having what we want to have, when we want to have it, uh, and, you know, the exact product that we want to have. So, again, not ready to sound the alarm yet and start, you know, banging from the rooftops and saying, you know, go out and run and buy all the whatever you can buy, but... Like you said in your post, you know, if you're in our community and if you're not, you know, please check it out, uh, www.patreon.com forward slash burn a return. Get in there and take a look because what it says is get with your reps. What do you have on hand? What can I get today? What is my pricing? What's my pricing going to be in, you know, the next quarter? You know, so things like that are going to be really, really important if you want to be ahead of the game because otherwise it's not just a matter of, oh man, the price is going to go up and I'm going to have to pay an exorbitant you know, amount of money to get these products in that I want to use, it will flat out be there will not be the products that you want to use and that you're used to using, perhaps. So be prepared now. It's December 5th, the day that we're recording this. And mark my words, boys, we come back and we listen to this in six months, and I guarantee you there's going to be some people out there that are hurting, right? that don't have what they need to do all the accounts that they have or deal with all the issues that they have out there on the lawns.
0: It's it, it's unprecedented time again. There's nothing we can look at in history of, of of our industry that we can point to and say when that happened previously we knew to make these changes. Uh, we're every day that passes by right now we are rewriting new history for this industry, um, and and there's there's a series of decisions we're going to have to continue to make and things we haven't thought of yet right that are that'll show up as as uh, as an issue. And you know, the only thing we can hope is that we make the best decision possible to uh, preserve the integrity of of the industry and the business as we know it, and uh, and that we continue to operate in the in the future, because this is unprecedented, and we are writing history as we know it. So, um, think the about favorite? that as you make these as you you make these decisions, even while you're out in the field. Um, and uh, one other thing I did want to bring up is. Share the information that you're getting from your distributors, um, and I and I'm not necessarily saying share your pricing information. Distributors get real weird about that because you know it 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 all varies on volumes <laughs> and all this fun stuff. And you start that's sharing a bunch of prices, and uh, yeah. But you know, if it, if there's ever a time it doesn't matter, that's right now. Share the information, share product availability, and uh, and that way it it helps create a series of data sets. Uh, across a larger area to be able to, um, to monitor these things and make adjustments. And, uh, so I highly, highly, highly recommend, um, you, you, you know, and you don't, you don't have to give up. Like, you know, if your supplier is holding on to, you know, 30 extra pounds of diameter or something, you know, you don't have to say like, oh, hell up!" in the Northeast is holding 30 pounds quick, go back kind of sort of thing. Uh, that, that's not what I'm saying at all, but you know, a comment, like there are still Know, small, but availability of prodiamine in Massachusetts share information like that it's it's a positive thing I promise um all right we'll move on to the uh, to the next one here. This is super uplifting as well. um the global fertilizer shortages comes to the valley uh, a combination of dramatically higher prices and less availability may now be bringing a global fertilizer shortage to the central valley with prices for essential resources to make fertilizers like natural gas phosphates and potash skyrocketing. Ryan Jacobson, CEO of the Fresno County Farm Bureau, says he's already hearing from valley growers who are feeling the squeeze. So, right now, we're at a critical point. This is not even a high demand part of the year. Going into next year's growing time, sometime this spring, when we really start to see those demands go up, and we're projecting everything probably short of a crisis by next spring. But why is this happening now? Uh, Gar Bennett, one of the largest ones. Uh, Greg Munson is its co-CEO. He confirms the short fertilizer shortage crisis is real and potentially devastating. A lot of our supply came from overseas. The price in Europe of the main ingredient, nitrogen fertilizer, has gone up tremendously. By Christmas time, you'll probably be up another seven to ten percent, something in that range on food prices. I think moms are going to be screaming, uh, screaming, screaming for relief that may not come. How long the shortage could last and how deep could it go is still unknown. This is a crisis that we really haven't seen to this degree historically, so we really don't have anything to compare it to. Uh, here we go. We have that statement again from a CEO and co-CEO of one of the largest ag distributors in, uh, in the California Valley area, which uh, I don't know what you all know about the California Valley area, but the one thing I do know is that there is a metric shit ton of crop production that takes place there. Yeah,
1: I mean, you drive up you drive up I5 through the Central Valley and there is tomatoes and all sorts of shit just spilled out on the side of the road from the trucks that are so full of them. It's like, "Hey, that's just, you know, wastage whatever who cares. You know, get the stuff to market because there's so much of it. We're going to do just fine." But I yeah. Again, like you said, you know, we're we're right in history right now because you don't hear people talk like this in our industry, right? whether it's ag or turf you don't hear people talk like this it's a pretty resourceful bunch it's a pretty uh optimistic bunch you have to be you have to be optimistic to make it in this industry like there's no way that you can be an outright pessimist and and have any sort of or any sort of uh lasting success in my view in my experience so when you see people saying stuff like this again it's just beyond troubling it really is but J pink can you go back to the article real quick? There was one thing in there that I thought was interesting, uh,
3: well written. Uh, right, uh, go down a little bit there. I was at the end of it. Gosh darn it! Oh, there you go. you go. I think moms are going to be screaming. He said, screaming for relief that may not come. Yep, we know moms. We know.
2: Okay. Uh, I, I've already had a taste of this because my first, uh, price increase, not related to agriculture, of course, first hit me during COVID and to give you the idea, mm hmm I was comparing ice cream prices with the guys on the Discord. hmm And that forty eight ounce carton of ice cream in say Texas or Michigan or or Minneapolis. Guess what it is in Honolulu, Hawaii.
1: I wanna say ten bucks.
2: Correct. Gosh, ten dollars for—and by the way, forty-eight ounces is the new size of an ice cream carton. Because back in the old days, a carton of ice Half cream gallon. was was always sixty-four ounces, always. But in the last few years, you charged the 64-ounce price for a 48-ounce carton. And here's one more horrifying thought for me. Especially me. I mean, this this gets me. Current price on something like uh, a staple for me, which would be a chuck roast. Mm-hmm. A chuck roast is
3: running over ten dollars a pound. Jeez.
2: And but and you know and, and for 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 the record to me, mm-hmm. one pound is what I call dinner after the show for me. <laughs> okay, a one pound yeah. chuck rooster. The old dinner.
0: <laughs> Ryan, you Ryan, you, you talk about the optimism of the industry and at some point I just I I feel like I don't know how I feel. be honest and i'll give you an example i'm scrolling through Mm -hmm. turf twitter like right now as as we're Mm -hmm. doing this there is nobody
3: sounding the alarm as to what's going on
0: no one i'm 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 looking at there's there there was a
1: no because i'm telling you that right now i'm gonna get a real good point thinking about because
2: people aren't thinking about it are they
3: no, I,
1: they're I not. don't think they are. I think, I think business as usual. You, you know, nobody's putting a third order in until months from now, right? Well, I get it when I and need
2: it. You get it when you need it because already, I'm in the position of, for example, do you know what my shortage or my run on materials is? And I learned the hard way. My That's run right. on materials literally starts in. October or November, because Ryan, if you ask for the staple fungicides, say in December, because you need them like yesterday, you know what happens? We can be told, uh sorry, Ray, uh, that ain't going to come in till maybe January or February."
1: (laughs) Um, And I, I again. Uh, Matt, what I'm saying is on the optimism side, I think in general and for a long, long time, I I agree that we haven't had to face a, I don't want to say crisis, but tough patch, right? We're not quite there yet. (laughs) Tough patch like we're about to face and we are starting to face right now. And I think that's where it's going to really test people. Uh Mm -hmm. On all facets. On the business side, right? Being able to communicate to your customers and say, listen, like, that, you know, the whole uh, $50 application is gone. That doesn't exist anymore. Like, that's, you know, you just paid for my product. Thank you very much. Now you need to pay me for my labor, right? So
3: that whole paradigm shift, who gets in front of that? I think,
0: I think is oh, it. Oh, oh sorry. Your internet came nope, back. i I was good. gonna
3: say, who's the, uh, you know,
1: who's the best chef in the kitchen, right? If I go out there and I say, Hey, you know, Ray, I know you wanted mm-hmm. uh Umax and potassium nitrate and this and that, but here's what you got. You got ammonium sulfate, you got, uh, some map and a little bit of SOP. Go make it work. Right. And that's what it's going to take. It's going to take somebody who can take all those. Things that are left over or things that we can actually get our hands on and make an agronomic program and, out of it
2: and 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 Ryan, to speak to that point, that is why I told you in previous shows the only thing that is going to really disrupt what I do personally is if I ask for these obscure uh less commonly used staples, and I get told uh. No, we don't even have that because everybody even here they all go for pre blended or certain you know certain things whereas for me no you you can give me twenty one zero zero or you know zero zero fifty or uh twelve twelve sixty one zero no big deal because I won't you know I can formulate. I have no no issues formulating. It's cool. But where it'll affect me again is if I can't even get a hold of those kind of raw materials. And mm-hmm. likewise, when you see like pre-emergent, I'm good with pre-emergent because for the longest time I've brought in sprayable pre-emergent i'm not dependent on having it pre on granules so well but. this is
0: where and this is where it's going to get weird though is like you, you know right now i got a price list from a company outside the united states for um their uh, their soluble phosphorus products no longer mm-hmm. not available and right now they're saying uh, probably not going to be available through uh, the first quarter of 2022. They're not going to include a price on it. Um, and it was one of those you have to get on a list to see if it will even be available. And, uh, but go ahead and write it off. That is, I mean, that's like, that's a serious thing. And this, this is not a small company. This is a major, major, major global producer. Um. So, I mean, it's it, it is going to be weird. Now, you know, are are we going to be buffered with like potassium nitrate? You know, that's one of those you know, what I would consider a relatively obscure source that you know is going to provide some in a, a, an overabundance of K for most uh, uses in turf. But you know, if that's what we got available, here's the thing though: if somebody's going out with potassium nitrate for the first time. What's the probability that the first you know you pick a hundred guys they go out with KNO three? How many of those guys end up smoking? You know the ten yards they apply it on, right? Well, if you got a hundred guys and it goes out across a thousand yards, I'm gonna I'm gonna bet serious money that fifty of fifty of those lawns are gonna be absolutely fried after the first application.
1: And and that's the whole uh, point, right? It's, it's the mm-hmm. the whole chef's idea, the chef concept that a, a yep. good chef you can give many ingredients right Ray might not mm-hmm. be that might not be that roast that you want right but he might cook you a good a good omelet right you know mm-hmm. maybe a little ceviche too with a tiny little bit of sake you know oh god yeah, yeah. whole... you're, you're speaking about there right i looked the, the
2: eyes, only reason why, oh, the, re, the only right. reason why i brought up chuck roast is because everybody else talks about wagyu this tenderloin that <laughs> uh, and, and sirloin but guess what i am in a food desert and i have been for a long time and that kind of stuff is just not commonly available here so i think i've gotten a dip at making do with what i can get my hands on and you know making it work i mean and i think as far as the in the fertilizer and pre-emergent space, do you know what my answer is to the the current problem, provided I have a sufficient supply of raw material? That, What's that label rate of prodiamine stuck in with a liquid fertilizer application applying tenth of a pound each of nitrogen phosphorus and potassium that's. Uh, that's my answer.
0: <laughs> we'll, well, we'll move on to this last one here. One thing I was going to say, too, is um, uh, no, I'm not going to talk about that, actually. We'll, we'll check out this last headline here. And uh, I, I said I was going to be optimistic, but I'm going to flip this into a very pessimistic view as well. But it reads like this. Uh, manure provides farmers an alternative nutrient source amid volatile fertilizer market. In the past year, the costs for urea and diammonium phosphate have more than doubled. With no end in sight, some producers are looking at alternatives for manure, uh, alternatives like manure. Daniel Anderson, associate professor at Iowa State University, says that farmers interested in integrating manure as a fertilizer had the possibility for great outcomes in terms of improved soil health and crop nutrition. One of the things I like to say is that manure is a complete fertilizer, but it isn't always a balanced fertilizer. Uh, for instance, you will, sometimes you'll have more phosphate or excess nitrogen than what the crop really, when what the crop really needs is potassium. When deciding whether or not to spread manure, it's important to determine the type of manure necessary for the particular crop type and the current, current soil nutrient makeup. For example, if a farmer has planted a crop that needs a lot of phosphorus but has soil that is low in phosphorus, they should shop around for nitrogen-rich manures like poultry. Uh, oftentimes, manures can only be transported a few miles to keep price competitive with synthetic fertilizers and with liquid manure, that application distance is probably somewhere in the neighborhood of one to five miles that we're willing to move it and still have it be cost competitive with the purchase of other synthetic fertilizers. Uh, Doug Lucas, uh, Dan Lupkis, and if any of these guys don't know who Dan Lucas is, he is a high yield guy. Um, you can you can find him on uh, Corn Wars and, uh, and Pod Fathers. Uh, you can see him on YouTube. Great guy, a great grower. Um, I love seeing the evolution of what he does on his fields. Uh, It's been using chicken manure on his farm for almost four years. Uh, Lucas is part of a group that focuses on high-yield crops, including extreme ag, um, and says that some of the members from the South where the use of chicken manure is more predominant have been discussing how effective it was on their fields, and he decided to give it a shot. It's natural versus synthetic fertilizers. Natural fertilizers have no added salt, so it's more usable for the plant. It also contains some additional micronutrients and calcium that you're not getting in synthetic fertilizers unless you buy all those additional uh, nutrients. However, he travels up to 100 miles to bring chicken manure to his farm, and he has roughly $250,000 of spreading equipment in order to get it down. Now uh, He yeah. says that he, has, he runs soil tests after using manure on his fields, and he's seen an increase in microbiology and insect presence, which brings additional carbon to the soil and increases overall soil health, something Anderson recommends before purchasing manure. As the nutritional value, manure can change from farm to farm and season to season. A soil test allows farmers to know exactly what nutrients their soil needs and what kind of manure to look for. Anderson also recommends requesting a manure sample from the farm before you buy. As the use of manure gains in popularity, Anderson is noticing a trend. While producers are using the manure being generated on their farm or purchasing the spread, they're also exploring other sources to rebuild and maintain soil health, not just bolster crop growth. Uh, sometimes a field is in need of extra nitrogen. The manure they're producing is not nitrogen rich. In these cases, choosing to apply purchased manure that is nitrogen rich, such as poultry, would be a good option. So on and so on and so forth. However, so I bring all this up to say that when farmers have turned their eye on the inputs that sometimes we and turf grass can turn to, what does that mean? That means the availability of some of the organic sources that we have had excess of or flush availability for the last five years. Gentlemen, guess what? Ain't going to be there. Now, no one is exactly sounding the alarm on biosolid availability. No one's sounding the alarm on poultry manure availability. But this is how this ends up going. And I can tell you this based on my relationship with poultry farmers that I've had over the years is it all comes down to the almighty dollar, right? Whoever is going to buy the manure uh, for the most amount of money from the poultry farmer or whatever manure uh, animal uh, producer is, is going to be who gets it. Now, you have to remember what farm has the flexibility to do, even though they may be buying it at an exorbitant price, right, compared to uh, safer. They, are, they have much more flexibility in the budget where they can spend for it because they have the ability to spread it as a raw material. That's why they have $250,000 spreaders. They can take shit right out of the barn, stuff it in a spreader, and go fling it across a field. We in the turf industry cannot do that. We have to bring it in, put it through significant processing that adds hundreds of dollars per ton in order to make it flow through our equipment that costs hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars, not two hundred and fifty thousands of dollars. So remember that. The guys that produce organic fertilizers for the turf and ornamental market are going to bid against these farmers in these upcoming cleanouts that are taking place right now to try and get their hands on the raw material, to put it into granulation, to be able to turn around and sell to TNO. And guess what? As these farmers are getting ready to place their orders on crop inputs and seeing the prices, I promise you it's going to increase the demand on this. And the price of what we know manures to be is going to be higher than we have ever seen it. I feel comfortable telling you that this time three years ago, forty five dollars a ton for chicken manure was a great price that would turn the head of a uh, of a of a, a poultry farmer in an instant, and they would gladly hand over you three to six hundred to nine hundred to a thousand tons, whatever they were sitting on of poultry manure. Then you have to remember from a production cost, you're going to be anywhere from $350 to $500 a ton to turn that into a spreadable product. And then you've got to tack on the company that does that, the profits that go along with it. Now you're six to $700 a ton is what you could probably expect for a granulated uh, poultry litter, right? Now, all of a sudden, if that's going to go from $45 a ton to $200 to $300 a ton, now we're looking at a $25, $35 Maybe even a $40 bag of poultry manure that has a 323 analysis. It is just compounding the already pressure that we have on the synthetic fertilizer market. In the event you think you can run away to the uh, organic market and find relief, you're not going to find the relief you think you're going to find. You may until they exhaust their inventory. But once they exhaust their inventory and they have to buy more raws, and this goes with liquid fertilizer alike, your liquid fertilizer producers may not be raising prices on you yet because they are holding inventory from where they bought their uh, commodities last time prior to price inflation. However, as they go to buy new material, those prices are going to be significantly more expensive, and that's when the FUBAR price, price list is going to come back down on top of you and crack like an egg. So. Anyway, just to bring it up, there's no way around this. Uh, get your shit together. Uh, you're in for the ride. I-,
1: I thought that we were shining the light and making things happy. Sunshine puppy dogs, right? I said it with a Are smile you okay? on my face. Oh, that's true. I'm yeah, okay. see, it, I was not. Yeah, doesn't smiling. it make you I feel really better? Was not when I said. It, a little bit.
2: I'm I'm Here, here's 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 the silver lining that I pick out of this. For me, this is a positive because bluntly, Matt, you know what this uh, pressure on the uh, quote-unquote organic materials uh, market is going to do? What's that? This is going to put some pressure on the people all along that have literally been spreading BS and chicken ass rather than solid agronomic programs. That's what I think this is going to do. <laughs> that, that's my, that's my soul, silver lining in this, because you see, then, here's the thing. When the prices for these so-called organic materials then go as high as they do, then there's going to be a lot of stratification. There's going to be a certain amount of stratification uh, going on.
1: Oh, there's no question about it. And I think that's the that's probably the biggest takeaway is that they're, they're now on the front end of not being so commodity-driven that, like what Matt's saying, it's going to be trickle down there at the, the very top of the hill with the big, huge... <laughs> shit-filled ball starting to roll down the hill right yeah
2: the the manure, all manure, of us are manure pile the is collapsing yeah the manure yes, pile is
0: collapsing the, the
3: manure pile <laughs> is collapsing and i what's that
0: rat holing it's a, it's a it's a real phrase <laughs> we use in manufacturing rat holing
1: i'm sure i'm sure i was thinking of uh i it made me think of uh Ray's favorite South Park episode with uh, Lemmy Lynx and uh, Mr. Slave. But anyway, um,
2: <laughs>
0: I don't know what you're talking about.
1: You well, I'll send you a video later. All right. Okay. Just make sure I, it's I will on, watch an, an incognitive it in tab for sure. Uh, so the the organic thing, I, I agree with what you're saying, Ray. That those Those guys and gals have had an angle right that they've gone at for a number of years, and their their whole business model could be in jeopardy I mean legitimately because of these pressures right because again, I don't see the the demand side cooling any for at least another year right We haven't mm-hmm. like you know what we just read about in the Central Valley, we haven't even gone through the biggest glove of the season and to Matt's point: These people will be going out and buying whatever they can get, because money's on the line, right? And in our case, money's not as on the line as it is for them, and they've got probably got more working capital to go out there and just swallow it all up whole. So it'll be interesting to see the uh, <laughs> their their response, right? These uh, the manufacturers that we're talking about, and how they. I guess try to feed the narrative that it's you know, it's better and it's and it's all this and that. And it's interesting. I wanna throw this out there real quick. This is I guess it's sort of an article we can we can dive into. JPEG, I'm gonna throw this in here. This is a, this is a bonus article, boys. It's a bonus.
0: That's what you get okay. here on Burn and Return. We 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 provide bonuses. When we've got bad news, we provide bonuses. We pile on Yeah, we
1: follow up yeah, we follow up that bad content and give you badder content. <laughs> that's that's what, yeah, And if you stick around long enough and you get all the way up to that top tier Patreon, you get the baddest of the bad. Like we'll give you all the bad news. We might even be able to foreshadow some of the terrible things that're going to happen in our lives and tell you about them before they happen. It's quite possible. Jay Pink, go ahead and throw this up. So, this is a uh a study that was done by uh Travis Shaddox and Brian unruh uh, both when they were, I think this was started when they were at Florida. I think Travis finished this before he was up at Kentucky. But the whole gist of this is they are looking at uh, measuring turf response to different end sources and then the cost to achieve that, right? So they're doing the old cost per pound of N, right? And they're looking at response mm-hmm. and saying, what is it that we need to look at in terms of a metric? Is this a suitable metric, right, to look at just cost per pound of N? Long story short, if you slide down here and look at the data table, actually, Ray, cost per pound of N is just a fine metric for most folks to go off of. Now, there's certain different things and tweaks that you can make uh, for specific situations like trying to use ammonium sulfate on an alkaline soil to try and get some acidification and things like that. But overall, right, the grand scheme of things, cost per pound of N rules the day. So what do you think has the highest cost per pound of N? Probably, well, you know what, Matt?
0: Organic sources.
1: Well, uh, even better. I'll tell you an even better, even more specific and explicit one would probably be the chicken poo product, and especially when it's applied right next to a body of water that empties into a great lake, right? Because most of that
0: shit's yeah. going right down into that lake.
2: Most shit's pounds down per a
0: thousand, Whether it needs it or not. Just make sure the ground is frozen first. You're going to send me down a tirade right now and no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to. Do listen, that. listen. What a, what so I'm... the last
1: thing I'll say on this manure thing real quick is that you know this is a hot button issue in certain parts of the country, particularly here in Ohio because a lot of these guys are trying to get rid of this stuff, right? They're they're looking for places to get rid of it. And we had such a major problem with them spreading this, Matt. This is why I queued this up. Into or on uh, frozen Frozen fields. Frozen ground. Fields. In the winter. that were at a high Mm -hmm. propensity for runoff. And then all the ditches, uh, the drainage ditches flow down into a river. That river empties into Toledo, one of the largest cities in the state here. And, well, gosh, what was this? Seven, eight, nine years ago? Something like that. They had such a big algae bloom, right, from all the phosphorus that ended up down in there. Right? They couldn't... couldn't, pump water out of the lake to supply their drinking water for the city and shut water off. There was literally like, they were having distribution sites for bottled water, bringing bottled water in from the federal government and FEMA and all this other stuff for the better part of a week. So to to have your head buried in the sand that this doesn't cause issues and things like that, and I'm not trying to conflate the fact that we don't have enough fertilizer to the fact that, you know, you have pollution from these things. It's more the fact that when used properly they can be fine but i think this is just opening up the panic button to ah hey let's just throw that out there and it'll be fine right damn the consequences who cares right and
2: wrong time wrong time wrong placement yeah. uh it all goes wrong i mean and you know what my takeaway from that nice graph is my favorite Nitrogen sources, Brian DeMay, mm-hmm. turn out to have the lowest cost per acre. My favorite sources. Mm-hmm.
3: I agree with that. And you know, right? Go ahead.
2: And the thing about, and you know what else makes those my favorite sources?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Under most con- conditions, they are so predictable. They're so damn predictable. I mean, you spray down a tenth of a pound of N as ammonium sulfate, you know quite well what you're going to get. You combine that with Uflex and apply a total of two tenths of a pound of N. You know damned well what you're going to get. You better feed your mower some vitamins, you know, as an aside. (laughs) You know, uh,
1: the the, the place, gentlemen, to kind of round this out, that I'm most concerned with this, right, is in the San Fernando Valley. And I'll tell you why. Because even there, they're having to make tough choices. It's going to come Mm -hmm. to the point where it's two girls, one nutrient source. That's where we're headed.
0: Okay? With that, gentlemen, we're going to move on to this week's sponsor, and... You know, we had a lot of options to dip into this week, and I, but I feel like the most important sponsor that we could come up with... Jay Bing, you knocked this out of the park, by the way. Um, this week's sponsor is the Winter Solstice. The longest, darkest night of the year returns yet again this Tuesday. Be sure you're ready for the Winter Solstice as it brings the return of our great horned hunter god, the newborn of the solstice sun. <laughs> I... The most depressing day of the year is almost upon us. And uh, and you know, that's shout out for them for supporting the Burn and Return podcast, the source of positivity, um, uh <laughs> uplifting content, all that fun stuff. Kidding aside, of course, it's our patrons. Patreon.com forward slash burn and return. Um, you know, we we really appreciate this. If we get to 69 patrons, this is our, our goal um is once a month, we are going to sit down and uh, and live stream a movie. <laughs> and for those of you that don't know, I am I'm not just not a movie guy. I'm like the antithesis movie averse. Um, yes, one hundred percent. You're movie
4: phobic. To bring <laughs> yeah, yeah, me
0: back to culture, cultural norms, uh, to reintegrate me back into society as a productive <laughs> member of society, and Hopefully I can understand some more nuance of the things around me because I struggle with that as well um, you know we're, we're hoping a little bit of a delve into uh, a, a cinematic rel- relief will will do exactly that so uh, there we are patreon.com forward slash burn and return we are forever grateful for, uh, for you we've been way too long we're going to hum through this next section here let's check out this week's burns. <laughs> So as we talked about last week, uh, Sheila is really, you know, she's, she's hurting after she, you know, she, people used to, used to drill Sheila often. However, with the administration change and a focus on environmental policies, you know, the amount of, the amount of drilling taking place on Sheila right now has, uh, has declined significantly. And, uh, and so that leads us into this next article. So as we uncovered last week as well, uh, uh Australia is on pace for a famine at some point next year. They are under a famine watch. However, the good news is is that right now they're set to record a harv- a, a record uh a record harvest on grain crop. Uh thanks to favorable weather conditions in the spring, Australian winter crop production and marketing uh, marketing year 21-2022 Is forecast to reach a record of 58.4 million tons, according to a report released by the Department of Agriculture, Water, and the Environment. Uh, Record wheat production of 34.4 million tons, slightly higher than last year's record, and double the size of the drought-stricken 2018, 2019, and 2020 wheat crops is also projected. The national record is driven by expected all-time high production in Western Australia and the second highest on record in New South Wales. Production in other states is also well above average. The report also noted that barley production is forecast 13.3 million tons, the second largest crop ever, and a record canola crop of 5.7 million tons is also expected. But there's also some bad news. A series of heavy rainfall events during November has delayed the harvest of winter crops across New South Wales and Queensland, likely leading to a fall in grain quality in unharvested crops. Flooding in the northern and central parts of New South Wales has also resulted in production losses for some producers, but this is not expected to significantly affect state totals. Uh, a Bears reported that the mice plague that impacted Australian grain production a year ago has been successfully thwarted with increasing baiting on farms during winter and spring reducing populations in affected regions. There have been no reports of significant damage. The A report said that planted to, uh, a- area planted summer crops in 21-22 is forecast to increase 36% to reach 1.4 million hectares due to favorable soil moisture levels in late spring and high water storage levels um the one thing they're not taking into consideration here as we move from 22 into 23 is going to be the great fertilizer shortage of uh of the post uh covid pandemic. So uh, good good news for them right now but you know get as much as you can and store it as long as you can and uh keep those keep those damn mice bait stations ready because uh i in the event the fertilizer shortage continues to last you you need to hold on to every last damn grain you got australia according according to your other news sources
3: not a good situation but that you know hey you find out what
1: uh what uh the the food market and uh All of it. It's I don't know. I don't even want to think about it right now. I
0: tried to be positive about it. I tried to get the bad news first, then the good news the record grain, but I doubled down on the bad news again.
1: Yeah, you you put the the shit and then the shit and then you put the meat in the middle. It's supposed to be a shit sandwich, (laughs) right? Like, (laughs) really messed that up. Damn it!
2: Yeah, I did it again. Somehow got that. Somehow got that flip. But uh, (laughs) on the other hand, I'm okay with that because only way for people to be prepared to deal with reality is to know about it. People True. just have to know. And I, all I can say is
3: uh, hunker down uh, and
2: uh, yeah, that's all I can say. <laughs>
0: there's not really else anything to say about that um again if you if you want more context to to that article and uh and and why we're being so uh what was the snl skit debbie downer uh, i i then listen to last week's episode and then the week uh, actually i think it was a week before that and um and you'll you'll completely understand where we go through some of the world market reports Uh, Related to the fertilizer issue that we are, but checking out the next article here. And I'm not exactly sure why I put this under burns, but uh, you know, might as well just set fire to the earth at this point. Attitudes on crop pesticides, ignore benefits. Crop Life America CEO says Chris Novak, president and CEO of Crop Life America, who spoke at Northern Ag Expo in Fargo on December one, is keeping tabs on any attitudes and focusing on attitude adjustment where needed. With the change in administration in Washington D.C., it's natural for farmers to wonder if there's a new attitude in the capital towards crop pesticides. Uh, see, it changed yep. font here, and I and uh,
2: there sure uh, is. CLA there sure is,
0: is. CLA is a trade association <laughs> whose manufacturers, formulators, and distributors of agricultural pesticides. Uh, associate members include entities such as PepsiCo and North Dakota Grain Growers Association, among other things. CLA workers ensure regulations. To approve and review pesticides are fair and reasonable. Uh, in early 2021, CLA conducted the first series of surveys to measure attitudes toward pesticides. The survey reached 200 of government-related influencers, ag-related lobbyists, state and federal elected officials and staff. The CLA found that 51% believed the benefits of agricultural pesticides outweigh the risks, while 31% believed the risks outweighed the benefits, and the rest were undecided. About 57% support the use of pesticides in ag production, meaning a large percent do not. He said the survey is the first of a series of surveys uh, designed to judge changes in attitudes about pesticides. Novak underlined that his organization is coming around again uh, using the plain language of pesticides rather than couching it in terms such as crop protectants when talking to the public. He said farmers in the pesticide industry train itself to use a more amorphous term but the general public does not know what it means. They equate crop protection with crop insurance. Novak said many in the environmental (laughs) activist community believe farmers can and should produce without commercial and synthetic pesticides. Wow. The industry and farmers generally believe that that's impractical. He pointed to the country Sri Lanka, which in May 2021 banned synthetic pesticides and fertilizers, declaring itself the first organic farming nation. The restrictions were abandoned in late 2021 after food production shortages. Did y'all hear that? Did y'all hear that? This mm-hmm. is the first I have heard that Sri Lanka has banned, has disbanded their desire to be an organic crop production country. I did read earlier today about food, uh, uh, about uh, production shortages. Major, major production shortages. And let me tell you what compounded that issue was delivery of fertilizer that was tainted with bacteria. From China. And then you know what Sri Lanka went and did behind that? They went and signed another deal for China to build a port in Sri Lanka. And the whole reason they had to take that ship of of contaminated material in the first place was because they took additional infrastructure loans from China. You talk about digging yourself in a hole that you can't get yourself out of. Boy. Wowzers, wowzers. All right, I'm not going to continue to read through this. I I think the statistics we needed to see were right there. It starts to get a little partisan after that, and so I'll leave it there. (laughs) So in effect, 51% of the country believes, uh, or at least of the influencers, the ag influencers, is 200 people that are are related in the government space, not not people, but I would argue that probably if you surveyed the, the bulk of the population in the United States, 51% would say the benefits of agricultural pesticides outweigh the risk. Here they say 31% believe the risks outweigh the benefits, uh meaning you know only 31 uh, uh percent say it's uh it you know we we it's it's a it's a good thing, right? Listen, uh I mean, I would say it's a bad thing, right? Believe the risks out, outweigh the benefits, right? There, there should be no no uh, 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 pesticides, you know, used in ag. Again, we don't have a lot of data within the industry to be able to point to to show what happens. But I think, in at least in the most recent short term perception, what we do have access to is what happens when we let the 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 small amount of of people, not the majority, a very small amount of people make a determination of something so extreme as to becoming an organic only crop producer. And that is Sri Lanka. And it took, let's see, it it was enacted in May, and by November it was gone. So that's June, July, August, September, October, November. Within six months, they realized they had foobard. Foobard.
3: Their food production. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, Matt, uh, have you personally seen what a lot of, for example, organic, fruits and vegetables look like the ones that are truly produced organically have you seen that
3: no okay let me tell you
2: what it looks like can you imagine having something like a tomato or fruits kind of spotty uh maybe you set it down and caterpillar pops up out of that fruit or tomato and waves hi to you or you take a leafy vegetable and you go wash it out in the sink before you're going to eat it and all of this stuff comes floating out of the water that is what you can expect when you have totally organic Fruits and vegetables. I mean, w- you know, would would you be would you be okay with that? No, no, no. Actually, my question would be, uh, we're guys, you know, we can deal. But then, uh, Ryan, how many soccer moms
0: look? are going to lose their mind when a tomato mm-hmm. caterpillar caterpillar climbs on them as they're in their in their suburban headed home from it's Walmart?
2: A- yeah, or else, it, it, and then it, they have it, a head-on actually,
0: collision on Interstate Forty. Um, it would it would not be good, you know, because because there's a a four-inch giant green caterpillar attempting to chew on her ear as if it's a as if it's a a, a tomato. Is that a kink? Yeah. I don't know. Could be. No, uh, it was
2: not a kink. Well, then, or or to ask ask more directly, how much screaming would you guys be hearing if? that same caterpillar wave hive from an apple. I'm talking about uh, what would Asami do to you, Matt? What would Asami do to you? <laughs> I, <don't>, I, <laughs> will, I would not
0: be on burn and return anymore. I'll tell you that.
2: <laughs> okay. Yeah. And what would, what would your wife uh, do? Because I already know about Matt's wife and I, I assume that like Asami a more extreme case. I mean, I'm assuming that Miss Demi is a little more moderate.
1: <laughs> yeah, she'd note bright the fuck out of that for sure. Uh, yeah,
3: <laughs> we're talking about
1: quality here, gentlemen, and I, I, I do believe that you can grow quality vegetables and fruits, but that is real uh, uh, organically. But you're talking like the top one, three, five percent, right? The rest of it's just because probably the- not, you know, just not not that good now. Here's the more pressing issue, right? And this is the Sri Lanka issue, right? Is quantity, quantity, the critical mass that we need to achieve to feed a country of going on 400 million people simply isn't there. It's just not there right now. So until this is, and this is the the part that the deeper I I I think about this pains me is probably the right word because it does. It's just like it's. How do you, how do you calculate risk? Right at an individual level, at a regional level, a national level, a global level, and this is part of it, right? It is, imagine that, you know, Norman Borlaug, who, if you don't know who Norman Borlaug is, go look him up. Okay, mm-hmm. literally the guy that maybe saved the planet. Right, there would not be. Six going on, seven billion people here on this planet without him. He okay? won a Nobel Prize because of it. And a lot of that centers around stuff that, you know, from a, you know, now we've we've uh, pushed ourselves forward into genetically modified crops and things of that nature. But what he started now would probably, if he, if he were to introduce those types of concepts now, would be looked upon like, dude, what are you doing? You can't do that. And so, yep. again, it's just not having a clear train of thought where input doesn't necessarily always result in output. Meaning just because we put pesticides on crops does not necessarily
3: mean that, you know, uh, people are going to get cancer outright, full stop. Does it put them so, at more risk? Sure. If you, here, here's it, the thing, but but they, if they don't eat...
2: They don't eat and... okay. Here's my uh, here's my other question now. The way I look at this risk benefit assessment is mm-hmm. supposedly without eating or consuming a wide variety of foods, including these crops, which happen to be somewhat pesticide and fertilizer dependent. People. Are literally at increased risk of the chronic diseases caused by malnutrition. And ironically, a lot of these diseases would be the very diseases and conditions that the activists accuse the pesticides of being correlated with. So I'm I'm trying to think now. What is more likely to hurt me, vitamin and mineral deficiencies, or so many parts per billion of, say, chlorpyrifos? Which is worse? This is what I want to
0: know. Uh, of those, of the thirty-one yeah. percent that believe the risks outweigh the benefits, how many of those people eat two Big Macs a week, eighty chicken nuggets a week, or <laughs> on antidepressants? Drink alcohol, smoke cigarettes, smoke cigars, chew tobacco, uh, 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 take anxiety medication, snort Xanax, whatever the case may, <laughs> it may be, right? That are all compounding issues, right? And and in lieu of 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 taking a personal inventory at that point, it's easier to say no. It's the pesticides that are that are that are the major issue issue here. While they have no problem. Buying coke from some random ass bartender on a corner and snorting it off the back of a toilet
4: seat—that's
0: exactly the kind of that. shit that chaps my ass. Because I guarantee you, I guarantee you, of that thirty-one percent, there are a handful of people that are those people, and then, you know they just adopt adopt this kind of. You know, there's there's people out there anyway that do these bizarre, uh, risk and personal risk analyses. I would be. That is. Are there any economists out there that can get that answer for me? What percentage well, you know what, of the man? people that believe pesticide use in agriculture risks outweigh the benefits, and then find out how many fucking barbiturates, SSRIs, SSNRIs, benzodiazepines, opiates? Get, get me that data and, and let's represent this article.
2: Okay, because. I said that with
0: a smile on my face because I'm positive. Pat-
2: you you've you, you've known me uh, and my personal view on this, and uh you know how I told you yes, I handle pesticides routinely, but because I do, otherwise I'm extremely careful about certain other things that are under my control because I've heard that too, and I've been hearing it for a long time, about how I even have people tell me, oh my god, Ray, you work with chemicals. Don't you know that shit's going to kill you? I mean, because such and such died, such and such died, such and such died, but then when I drill down into that person that had problems, let's see, smokes like a chimney, uh, drinks a lot of alcohol, and consumes a lot of Less than healthy foods, and it just so happens that he's the golf course spray guy or the nursery spray guy. On top of that, yeah he he, he takes he takes
0: bong rips of tobacco. Uh, he 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 takes the cigarettes he smokes, empties them out from the filter at the at the at the butt, mm-hmm. and uh, and then takes bong rips of it. That's I'm I'm talking
2: about a damn unfiltered Marlboro. Hanging from his lips, from the time he wakes up till the time he goes to sleep, Matt.
0: There. Well, while we're I'm stepping in the, shit,
1: <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. I'm looking for the. Da- I was just gonna say, I'm looking for the Dachnell and the Winstons.
0: The, exactly. I, exactly. That it. was me at a at a point in my
2: life.
3: That
0: <laughs> was me.
1: Hey, look. Hey, um, or,
2: I told you. I told you. I'm looking at. You. Or, or you, or you cut the smile, Ryan. The, smile the, before you say that to you me. Cut the. You cut the dicing into, into your little bit of a coke kit, okay?
0: Yeah <laughs> just a, just a, a fingernail full. Uh, we're gonna yeah. blow the time out here because boys, this last article right here is exactly is it, I put this right into my veins. Magic dirt: How the internet fueled defeated <laughs> the pandemic's weirdest mar- uh, multi-level marketing. Black oxygen organics became a sudden hit in the fringe world of alternative medicines and supplements where even dirt can go for $110 a bag. The social media post started in May. Photos and videos of smiling people, mostly women, drinking mason jars of black liquid, slathering black paste on their faces and feet, or dipping babies and dogs into tubs of the black water. They tagged the post, hashtag boo, and linked to a website that sold a product called Black Oxygen Organics. (laughs) What this product is for $110 is humic and fulvic acids. Here we go. And this article tends to go into a a, a very, very long explanation about the multi-level marketing nature of it and, and about how really... Uh, You know, who would have thought drinking dirt would make me feel so good? One person in a 27,000-member private Facebook group uh, posted her face nuzzling a jar of black liquid. Um, These online groups are filled with true believers, acolytes who call it magic dirt. They post that they are drinking, cooking, soaking, snorting, and slathering boo on their bodies and giving it to their families, children, and pets. We're happy to say our bottom feels happier, and we're in a better mood. Boo brownies for the picky family. The multi level marketing boom they go into into all that fun stuff and uh, and you know what's interesting is that you know here <laughs> what we see in the health space is exactly exactly what we <laughs> see this is not this is not drawing parallel lines. this is the exact same fucking line being drawn in the fertilizer industry as well, where it starts out with a shred of truth and then becomes exaggerated into this all. Of uh of uh absolute uh what's the word I'm I'm looking here? Uh, 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 uh just a, a gigantic barn of bullshit and over promise of things that do not exist because it's it's the game of where the message gets passed down from person to person and by the end of the person that hears the last story is promised everlasting everlasting life and nirvana and everything all above, right? We see it even in the health food side with the exact same active ingredients that's been crammed down our throat on the fertilizer side. In the exact same comeuppance for the exact same price, $110 a bag, $110 a gallon. You take a little folic acid, you, you take a sip. And then you add a sip to your sprayer. You spray your plants with it. You spray your dogs (laughs) with it. You gargle with it. You grow your vegetables with it. It's one and the same. It fixes everything. It fixes your booty and it fixes your face, your teeth, your lungs, your hair, your liver. It's a chelator. It gets toxins out of you and you can make a million dollars if you sell it too. Therefore, if you use my link down in the description below, You self-support the channel that's going to make me a million dollars, too, for selling you the same product that the other person sells you for, even though I sold you on the same concept that the other person (laughs) sold you for. But you know what? We're going to make it out of this together because what I've got is fucking groundbreaking.
2: And uh, this product is also an antidote to the toxins injected by being vaccinated for COVID. There. That's right.
0: If we if we run out of th- if we cannot escalate this to higher levels, how do we make it that much more appealing? Well, guess what? It it kills COVID and it kills the toxins from the vaccines. What where can we take it next? It eliminates AIDS, hep C uh, 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 prevents HIV. Where where else can we go with this? Where else can we go to this? This is a direct pipeline to favor with Christ.
2: This is a guarantee that you become (laughs) a beatified saint. Where where does it end? Yeah, where does this stop? That's my question. Because, and furthermore, what you know what I always rail against, even in the fertilizer space, are bullshit products that keep people from doing what they actually need to do, and medically. This is even worse because we're not talking about the difference between yellow grass and green grass. We are talking about people's lives here. They listen to this kind of bullshit. It might
3: kill them.
0: Well,
4: you know what? Kill- <laughs> I
0: can think of four hundred and fifty thousand people in the YouTube space that uh, that that is uh, that that would if you if you took this concept. And sold it to them that the the exact tincture that they're using for their lawn will improve their life. I guarantee you, you could get twenty seven thousand of them to bite that bullet and execute the black oxygen organics part two.
3: You could make it happen instantaneously. Ryan, you
0: are staring at me. <laughs> And I just see a, a mixture of emotions. You are smiling. You are smiling, but I see so many different interpretations of that of that look you're giving me. I don't know which <laughs> one to land on.
2: I mean, or is he looking just, at that or at me like
4: that? Re- because I re- <laughs> I dropped bomb. Reading the
1: this so- article, <laughs> reading this article, number one, it, it is just it gives me such a lack of confidence in. People's ability to have a rational thought number one right that you you somehow like <laughs> you've uh usurped all of medical science and everything like that, and this is it, boys, we've found it we're gonna we rub mud it. on
0: our we skin all of agronomy we're gonna rub mur- mud on our mud, mhm. <laughs>
2: Correct. We're red mud on our mud, and Ryan. What's that? Uh, here's my problem. Okay, this all ties in because you see, the same people that think that one part per billion of glyphosate on a fruit or a vegetable or a grain ingested is going to kill them are the same idiots that think that. By bathing in or drinking fulvic and humic is some kind of a miracle cure. You see, uh here's where I get anxiety from this. How can people be so scientifically stupid that they have no capability of you know determining? Because, for example, You know what this aversion to pesticides comes from? People that? that absolutely do not have any kind of scientific knowledge. They're scientifically ignorant. And likewise, the scientifically ignorant are also the same people that then go around and tell everybody else this $110 bag of mud or organic matter. Is likewise going to, for example, save them from COVID. Okay, the same people that have no ability to critically think about scientific concepts fall for this kind of bullshit.
0: Yeah, is is this the inability to? Is this scientifically illiterate or is this critical thinking skills?
2: Both, both, Matt. Both. I, 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 I could, both. It, it. I mean, when the two kind of. Dovetail together, you have FUBAR. You have scientific FUBAR because any rational, scientifically-minded person would, number one, dismiss all the bullshit, and number two, that scientifically literate person would also do an extremely good job of assessing... And mitigating risk for themselves. Okay, because uh, see, I think you know me. Even... Go ahead. I'm 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 all about mitigation of risk because Matt, I don't want to die. That's the plain and simple thing. I don't want to die, so I'm very good at mitigating my own
4: risk. Uh,
3: it's even deeper than that. I think. I think that people are so
1: insecure about their control over their body, the environment that we live in, the world that we live in, all the uncertainty, everything like that. Like you got to understand, you know what, Ray, a hundred years ago, what was life expectancy? 200 years ago, what was life expectancy? I mean, it is a relatively new and novel concept that you could live into your 70s, pretty healthy and happily right now. A lot of advancements in technology, all those kinds of things, whatever. But the fact that, um, there's only so much that you can do, right? And I think there's like this immense amount of pain or pride or whatever, you know, really strong emotion that exists in these folks that they feel like, Hey, I, I can take control, right? I can do this mm-hmm. and have an edge on whatever it is, you know, cheating death or, you know, keeping toxins out of my body, whatever the case might be. And I don't begrudge people for doing what they want to do. I mean, I, I, I agree with personal liberties and everything like that, but at the same time, it's like, doesn't mean that you're doing something that is dumb, right? That if you, you know, if somebody else told you that they were doing it, if it was a friend or a family member or something like that. And it was, you know, something with the same kind of, uh, you know, angle that they're coming at you. And you'd be like, wait a second. That seems like it's a racket, or that seems like it's a you know a multi level marketing scheme. And the other person's like, oh no no, it's fine. It's helped me do this that and the other thing. I'm like, well, maybe you ought to check yourself before you wreck yourself.
0: Yeah, check. Well yourself you'll get ostracized. It. You'll get ostracized for it. You know, I I've seen it with the humic thing before. That if you if you don't buy into the ideology, you'll become ostracized for it. J Ping, I sent you a video. Uh, I mean a a picture. If you can throw this up. And uh, it, you don't have to pay attention to the one on the left, but if you look at the one on the right, um, what you see is a child grasping a bear and a family member of sorts taking fulvic acid, mixing it into a syringe, and putting it into their child's body, believing it is solving Holy whatever underlying shit. issue is taking place in this child. Now, this is, uh, I think this is through a feeding tube, if I, if I, if I'm looking at this oh correctly, I, could be, I don't think that's mm-hmm. intravenous. I'm fairly confident that's a feeding tube. And yep, it's that's not a, to say, is a, that going to hurt the child by putting fulvic acid into their feeding tube? No, probably not. However, what this is doing is securing some false sense of security for the parent. And that is being so reinforced. You can look at the positive engagement that's taking place in in this social media post right here. The positive reinforcement that's taking place there is only encouraging her to take it further and further. And maybe it starts as a feeding tube (laughs) supplement and it ends when it becomes an intravenous injection and real problems start to manifest itself. The point is, is that when this shit is allowed to perpetuate without any sort of, of societal check and balance, right? And what I mean by that is someone to say, hey, let's actually... Take a moment and analyze what we're looking at here, or allow researchers to come in and look at it without a, 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 a veil by or without the influence of Anderson's buying the extent of uh, of the the, uh, the study that takes place. So, for instance, you know we we'll look at Iowa State, right? So I talk a bunch of shit on, on humic acid, and I pulled the majority of that data from a trial that was paid for by Andersons that luckily they published the, the the totality of the data, even though when you read their abstract, it took one hell of a positive spin on it. However, if you actually analyze the data, you saw that there was a lot more cracks in the foundation that took place. And because of that, it allows society to look at it, make alternative arguments rather than just the fluff that's sitting on top, the whiff, the wavy cotton that's, that's floating on, on top, and be able to shine a light on this. And thank God, you know, here that this has been called out as magic dirt and all this fun stuff, and hopefully apply a little bit of societal pressure here to be able to say that you who's putting this into the feeding tube, believing that this is going to do something for you that is rectifying in some sort of way or or whatever the case may be, there could be some positive health benefits out of it. I don't know. Let the research begin to dictate that. Don't do it through a multi-level marketing agency. Do it under the care of a doctor, a trained professional. I man. This is just, but but (laughs) this is, this is, when I think of humic acid and why it has become so tainted in my brain, this is exactly what comes to my mind. Just from my experience with it in our industry. I can only imagine what the view on it is of the medical industry. That is now seeing it being pitched and uh, copped for in in this particular industry, so just Matt, absolutely
2: bizarre. do you know you know why this is actually particularly triggering for me? Why this whole humic thing? because in my family's history,
3: you replace humic
2: with any number of the bullshit health fats. That have been going around since the 1960s on. And that bullshit did not prolong life. That bullshit did not improve quality of life. And in some cases, it then distracted from actual effective medical intervention. Okay, that is
3: my. Anxiety about
2: something like humic as a medicine. Because this sounds like shit that I saw before. Maybe it wasn't humic, but the same concept applies. Right? It's just uh, more bullshit in a bottle that upends centuries of established medical science.
0: I I I love this. Ben Worthman commented from Uncle Bumblefuck, who's uh from A V E. He said, if you can't win them with facts, baffle them with bullshit. Gentlemen, let's check out this week's returns. I'm gonna start with this one and give uh debate an opportunity to come back and we'll talk about the next one here. Uh, USDA improves crop insurance for hemp producers. Uh, finally, being treated like a crop. Uh, the Department of Agriculture Thursday announced improvement to crop insurance for hemp. The USDA's risk management agency is adding flexibilities around how producers work with processors, as well as improving consistency with the most recent USDA hemp regulation. RMA Administrator Marsha Bunger says, RMA has worked to expand and refine our offerings to be responsive and dynamic. Uh, producers are no longer required to, li- to, to deliver hemp without economic value for insurability. However, contracts between producers and processors may still include delivery requirements. Additionally, RMA clarified how the amount of insurable acreage is determined if the processor contract specifies both an acreage and production amount. The change was made in the policy to ensure producers know how their insurable acreage is determined for those contracts, blah, 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 blah. Um, All right. So here we are. uh, The the government is finally catching up to the rest of the world and viewing uh, uh, hemp as an actual crop. It's not going away. Cannabis is not going away. It's here. Uh, The fact that the federal government still uh, wants to hold this over our head and determine what we can and can't do with it is absolutely abhorrent. Um, Along, along. And I think you could take a look at everything that goes on with. uh, um, uh, Yeah, I'm never mind. That's 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 too much. (laughs) But here we are (laughs) gaining a little respect. I, I was I was really going off the deep end there. I'm glad you're back. tonight.
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, we're 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 collectively about to lose our shit because <laughs> for me, hemp is just another plant, okay? And mm-hmm. you know how we always talk about sustainability. Mm-hmm. The way I view hemp is, I consider that an alternate. Fiber source, for example. Because Ryan, every time I get dressed in the morning, it is with a certain amount of guilt. And do you know why I feel guilty? Why? Because everything I wear, or almost everything I wear, is a hundred percent cotton. Mm. And I'm honest with myself that Cotton can be one of the most environmentally impactful crops that we have in production. You know, I I tell myself the truth about that. And for example, Aldo and I were talking about the Salton Sea that is literally a half an hour away from where he lives.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And do you know? why the salton sea is not a resort area people don't go boating or swimming or fishing in that body of water it is because decades of agricultural production including cotton have turned that into you know something that you can't use for that and likewise there's a similar body of water in the former Soviet Union called the Aral Sea. Same thing happened yeah. to it. So you give me a crop that can be produced with lower inputs and you know do a lot of the same things that cotton can. I'm all in favor of it and that would be the crop where I ain't going to get hung up just because it tests uh, 0.01% more THC than supposedly what industrial hemp is supposed to contain. You know what? I don't care, you know, because with a natural crop, there are variations. And oh, by the way, even if that were diverted towards, you know, other use. Uh, Industrial hemp is not something that's sought after by uh, by the potheads anyway. They don't consider it desirable. So, you know, I'd say we should really be looking at liberalizing the industrial hemp production industry and kind of taking off the handcuffs.
1: Well, and a lot of that too has to deal with you know the the downstream economy of just growers, right? So this is good to hear, you know, on the on the insurance side. But there is a huge lack, right, of um, processing facilities and places that can actually do something with this here domestically. And so hopefully, the uh, laws and regulations change such that people that have money probably lined up ready to go as soon as that mm-hmm. switch gets flipped, but they're able to do what they need to do because certainly there's there's an economy for it, and you can't just hold- yeah you can't back hold back something like what you know to matt your point that it's already here it's not like it's coming it's already here,
2: yeah yeah,
0: and so so and you this know what is a, another example of government overstepping their their bounds and just over some bullshit. I mean just <sighs> but by
2: the way by by the way Matt and Ryan, prior to the Harrison Narcotic Act, hemp was grown industrial in large amounts for making things like rope. Mm. Okay. Back in sandals. back in the old days, yeah, sandals, I mean but then Jesus after Jesus. the harrison yeah, after the harrison narcotic act then it was no and then of course by the 1970s uh mention of cannabis sativa or cannabis indica uh would probably put you in prison for life
3: so It's ridiculous.
0: It is. But we do have something positive to end this on. And uh, thanks to Demet here. Uh, Artificial turf recycling facility planned for Luzerne County. The $12 million project will bring dozens of new jobs to the area. This is out of Hanover Township, Pennsylvania. A company that recycles artificial turf fields is expected to bring dozens of new jobs to Luzerne County. Rematch plans to build a state-of-the-art recycling facility. The company is based in Denmark. This will be his first recycling facility in North America. The project is expected to cost over $12 million. According to the governor's office, it should result in 40 new full-time jobs in Luzerne County. Uh, Yeah, that's it. So we're going to start recycling artificial turf, which I think is a positive thing because up to this point, when you had to get rid of it, what the hell did you do with it? Landfill it? I don't know. Yeah, you
3: just got a whole bunch of roll-offs, 40-year roll-offs, and
1: chucked it in there, and that was it. It Gone. Over with. Done
2: mm-hmm
1: i'm serious again my, my qu- i'm not joking
2: yeah that, that and i i believe you and, and my of course my question was any kind of material is what is its final fate where does it go because uh you know i'd like to think that for any kind of a material like say artificial turf my mm-hmm. question For the advocates of artificial turf, would be where does it go when it is no longer a safe playing surface and then it needs to be removed and redone? Riddle me that, answer me that, and I had better be able to logically process the answer because you know, you always talk about how artificial turf is. Widely touted as the answer to a lot of problems, but what's not looked at are the problems that come with using artificial turf rather than natural grass, including the need for final fate of artificial turf surfaces that need to be removed and replaced.
3: The mate, I got a question. Go ahead. you you.
0: Listen, I've been around the, enough turf guys to know that when you get in situations where you got to get rid of debris, you do you do some strange things. Yeah, sometimes it's a can of gasoline. You know, sometimes <laughs> you, you wouldn't even need the, the gasoline the the turf. When the when the bleachers, you know, keep getting shit on by birds, sometimes it's a little bird poisoning some grape Kool Aid underneath the bleachers. You know, I'm, I've Ew. seen some shit. <laughs> <laughs> how many how many guys have you seen set fire to artificial turf laying around?
3: Have
1: I personally seen zero? Have I mm-hmm. have I heard of or seen direct evidence of such activities occurring? Uh, more than a few.
0: Yeah. You said mm-hmm. it doesn't need gasoline, so that tells me everything I need to know as far as what you it's you pretty, understand yeah. about it.
1: Well, I've seen people smoking on it. I've seen people light a match or whatever and cause... And it gets away from them and bad things problems. happen. Significant problems.
2: Yes, significant
1: mm-hmm. problems. You get a bunch of drunk softball uh, adults out there and anything's fair game. Uh, the one, mm-hmm. probably the most famous incident, uh, just to show you how... Um, it wasn't flammable, didn't light on fire, but... The Hall of Fame stadium was in Canton, Ohio. They play a, the first preseason NFL game there every year, and they painted logos on it, like the special logos for the game. And the logos weren't drying fast enough, so they took the torpedo heaters, right, like the propane heaters, and set those up or out the, the kerosene field. heaters. Yeah, the yep.
2: kerosene and electric heaters. I know what those are.
4: Yeah.
1: And it was just hot enough to not cause it to burn, but it melted all the fibers together so that it was like a crunchy plastic when they got done. So literally imagine this scene. I think it was the Packers. I can't remember who else was playing. But Green Bay Packers and somebody else. There's a stadium that's got about twenty-five, twenty-seven thousand 27,000 people in it. Ready to go. It's 30 minutes before game time. People are on the field freaking out. Nobody knows what's going on. And they come over to the loudspeaker and say. Game's actually canceled. Field's unsafe to play. Sunny day. 80 degrees. Perfect. They kick everybody out. Tell them to go home. So yeah. It's. It, you don't get heat it will you know it'll it gives off heat and all that kind of stuff but you don't get extreme heat anywhere near that stuff for a variety of reasons all of which are bad like literally every single one of them is bad so uh,
2: it's because it, it it's a thermoplastic go. yeah chemically it's a, it's called a thermoplastic so that means that at a given temperature the individual fibers and strands fuse together mm-hmm. and do you know what else I know about thermoplastics? What's that? I consider thermoplastics to be fantastic fuels. Here we go. <laughs>
0: because... We're going to blow something up, boys. Here we go.
2: <laughs> because, okay, for example, when somebody says polyethylene, for example, what do you think?
3: Made from some type of
2: petroleum... Normal base right like okay uh, what that just means is that to me is ethylene gas which is combustible except when it's polyethylene, it's converted into a solid far- form that only means that that ethylene is no longer volatile and explosive under normal conditions but it still is highly combustible That'll burn (laughs) and burn easily.
3: (laughs) Uh, Sounds, you know the, yeah the whole
1: thing the whole thing with this. I'm glad I'm glad to see it's in it's coming right. There's another one or one or two that are out there right now. There's a field here in Ohio that they did and recycled this year. Now the thing that'll be is you know critical mass on cost because this is going to add a significant amount of cost. You know the cost to remove your turf, you know was. Fifty two bucks a foot. I bet you that doubles easily mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. employing this recycling technology. So you're going to get a lot of people that are like, "Oh, you know, I'm already paying eight fifty nine hundred grand for this. I really have another hundred and fifty to quote unquote be responsible." And I'm not a- I'm well, advocating that they're right or wrong. It's it's a terrible thing to just go put in a in a landfill, but that that's what's going to happen. You're going to have people that are like, "No, I'm not doing that." I don't care.
2: Yeah. Well, that's it. and here's, here's my question. Will this then bring to the forefront how sustainable it actually is to have artificial turf surfaces? Will this kind of like bring that question forward? Because what I see happen happening, at least where I'm at is because there's no more mowing, spraying, fertilizing, and irrigation, mm-hmm. people automatically think that artificial turf is more environmentally favorable versus actually growing grass. Well, yeah, I know. I I, I see. I see your look. Yeah, <laughs> I see. <laughs> I see the look on your face. There's. I know. I know you approach this from I want to say an almost objective point of view because you you do look at it from both sides
1: I do and I think that there again you can in most cases most cases fit either narrative to be on your side and do, mm-hmm. do so in a way that's very convincing uh and very uh effective you know it, it, it works so it just depends on how you view it. I view it that hey, there's it's not going away. It's never going to go away. It's like you know we just had the hemp conversation. The shit's here to stay. You know, like mm-hmm. it, it, you're not going to have you know eleven thousand high schools just say, oh, you know what? Eh, we made a mistake. Let's go ahead and switch back to grass.
2: It's not going to happen. On the other hand, you know when you say not going away, mm-hmm. what I think about is how plastic is another forever material in our environment or can be Mm -hmm. a forever material. So when you say it's not going away, that just gave me anxiety because I understand the concept of plastics and microplastics in the environment. And the idea is, is that you can't even
3: safely, Burn this
2: you know artificial turf and reduce it down to heat, water, and carbon dioxide without some rather specialized equipment, so you know are we making another problem in the name of solving what I think is a smaller problem uh,
1: and that's that'll be the the real thing is somebody to really look at and understand what all those impacts are because nobody really has. I mean, it's been very skewed on, on both sides, I think, or so on the artificial turf side, skewed to improve the, um, how it's viewed, how it's marketed, how it's sold. And then, you know, it's just nice because it magically goes away and there's a new field that appears. You don't see, yeah, you know, the guy out there with the permagreen spraying and spreading fertilizer on it. You don't get those heebie jeebies and, that's what you don't get the heebie jeebies, and...
2: but, but but then you know what gives me the heebie jeebies, uh Ryan?
3: Mm.
2: What's that? When I see the dump truck loads of that now dead carpet on their way to the <laughs> landfill that gives me the damn heebie jeebies because uh I'm on an island, for example, and you know what? You know what my biggest problem is on this island? Tell me. If there's any kind of trash or debris, mm-hmm. there ain't nowhere for that shit to go, okay? There's nowhere for it to go.
1: Matt, I think there's an nope. opportunity in East Tennessee to, to really take all these, you know, there's one football field should be able to produce about 600 front lawns for some uh, mobile homes and some double wides. So we should get into that.
0: <laughs> <circular economy. laughs> Let's do it. Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll have someone requesting that in this week's mailbag. You've
2: got mail.
4: This
0: is from Drew. And uh, unfortunately, that was not the subject of Joe's email. Joe said, Is there a grass type that shouldn't be cut with a real mower? Let's say, even if I were real cutting anywhere up to two inches, is there one that just does better real rotary?
4: Real cutting. I'll let
0: y'all. I'll let y'all answer this. I wanna know I want to see what the quality of cut at two inches is from whatever reel mowers That's all I want to see. Need like a okay. three
3: blade reel. You know on because narrow
2: narrow wheels, no roller. Yeah, Yeah. Because currently a lot of our reel mowers are literally designed to work in that space uh under two inches. I'd probably say I'd be really reluctant to put a reel mower on turf-type tall fescue. That's the only one. Could you, is- could, you, could, could you agree with that? I mean, because yep. I'm thinking of how turf-type tall fescue grows and its overall growth habit in that I don't think that that would be good. Conversely, you know what I would put a reel mower on?
3: St. Augustine
2: yeah I would absolutely I would absolutely real shout f- out St. To, Augustine. To
0: 813 King the uh the real Moen St. Augustine master uh his shit is mm-hmm. fire um he, he's, 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 real he's, he's a watcher oh yeah yes and it is just it is banging absolutely yeah. banging. It, it looks amazing it looks
2: fabulous Ryan it, it looks just yeah. absolutely excellent and I can speak from personal experience that St. Augustine mode with a properly adjusted reel mower looks wonderful. And it performs wonderfully as well because you know what that shortcut does? Mm, Dries out. It no, mm. mitigates disease. Mm. So we don't need to be throwing a three-way combination of what is it? Uh, ProStar and Headway at it every single month. I won't name names.
0: Yeah, maybe maybe some uh, uh there's some uh, ultra dwarf tall fescues out there that are that are capable of being real cut. Um but I think you would have to seek that out. I, I, I don't just
1: know. don't I don't know. If you're if two inches is your number that gets tossed out, then I have no problem using a rotary mower. And I think you can get Kentucky bluegrass to look fine at that. I mean, any of the cool season grasses. Or ryegrass. Yeah. yeah, it'll look
0: fantastic at that height.
1: Nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Stripes up yep. nice. Looks great. Healthy. All that kind of stuff. You don't
0: have to have a real mower to have nice, nice looking grass. Let's just go ahead and get that out there. You can have nice looking grass. We agree. There's there's a different aesthetic. There's certain you know, cultural benefits that come along with real mowing certain types of grasses. But as far as one that just Does better. It'd be things that are designed for higher heights of cut. You have to remember that when you undertake real mowing, is you're adding another layer of complexity that gives you another variable that you can essentially screw up. So just keep that in the back of your mind as well. All right, gentlemen, we got to dip out of here. We ran incredibly long today, but it was stuff that needed to be talked about, and I think we did a great job of being very, very optimistic about everything. This Thursday,
4: this Thursday.
0: We have um, one of the participants of the Black Oxygen Organics multi-level marketing uh, program on <laughs> our show. His name is The Lawn Warrior. I'm just kidding, The Lawn Warrior, if you're listening right now. I love you. Um, <laughs> the Unorganic he's, Lawn he's Warrior. He's going through the former Organic Lawn Warrior that is no longer an Organic Lawn Warrior. Actually, he never was an Organic Lawn Warrior. And uh, and In know, name only. That, and they He win. had that stark realization, and I think that was shocking for him when he learned he was not an organic lawnmower, even though those were the selling points he was taught to, to, to resell. So anyway, we're going to have a very interesting conversation with him. We're going to talk him through his existential crisis that he's going through, and uh, and we're going to have an absolute good time of it. So um, if you are in for some, some heady treats, tune around for this Thursday, Thursday. Uh, for the Patreon <laughs> members... We're going to head over and name this episode. Y'all have a good one. We'll see you on Thursday.